Hey, you're listening to Just Say the Word. I'm your host, Erin Sanchez, and this is a storytelling podcast. In every episode, you'll hear a story from me or my guests from around the world. Then we'll encapsulate a key lesson from that story in just one word you can apply in your own life or business. If you're an entrepreneur looking to get inspired and make your mark on the world, you're in the right place. Your story is your legacy, and I want to help you tell it better. Visit candidlyerin.com for more writing, communications, and personal branding advice. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning back in. Today I have, and I always say I have a special guest, but my friend today, Melissa McDaniel, is extra special because she's actually from the same teeny tiny town that you've heard me talk about on this podcast before. So we went to the same high school and everything. So it's really cool to reconnect with Melissa. Melissa is a best-selling author and coach who helps women build meaningful relationships after sexual assault. Her book is titled, Who Will Love Me? A Holistic approach to building meaningful relationships after sexual assault. It will be in bookstores July 28th or an advanced reader copy is available and Melissa will give you details about how to get in touch with her at the end of the show. So hey Melissa, thanks so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on as you know, like we've we kind of chatted way back when, but you were Mm -hmm. still in your day job and everything back then and you've just recently left your day job, right? Yep. I've just launched to enter the entrepreneurial world full-time. Yeah. So exciting. So I know this is a story that a lot of people are going to be like tuning into because a lot of people are still in their nine to five. It's their dream to, you know, leave that behind, do what they really want to do full-time. So I guess let's start before we get into your book and everything, which I think will be like the main topic of conversation, but let's just start with that. Like what kind of what was the driving like I have to leave my job I have to do this like kind of what was your your thinking and your your emotions around that so I have kind of um I would say eclectic interests right and there's so many different things that I'm interested in want to do and want to learn and want to piece together Um, and being in a nine to five I wasn't given that freedom to be Mm -hmm. and create there was no creativity in the process uh, for me for me, launching out into this realm of creativity, endless possibilities, uh, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I can relate to that. And I think most of the people in my tribe, community, whatever you want to call them, are multi-passionates. So we're all kind of entrepreneurial because it allows us to be who we are and show up that way for our audience and, and um, also just pursue all the things we love while monetizing, you know, one or two of them, right? Right, um, so, so you just left your job. What were you doing in your day job? Yeah, so I worked in higher ed for the past five years. Um, I primarily worked with students who experience intellectual disabilities, leading programs working towards inclusive employment. Okay. Uh, yeah, cool. And you're getting your PhD right now, right? Are you? Yes. Still? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am slowly, <laughs> um, but I'm working on my PhD in leadership studies. Cool. Yeah. So busy, busy, busy. And I know I remember like, I think it was like a year ago, you were like, Hey, yeah, do your PhD too, Erin, so that we can be, and I'm like, don't tempt me because I always, like, I always had that in the back of my head, but yeah, yeah, so much work. It's Um, a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Especially on top of, so you wrote a book 
at the, mm-hmm. was this at the same time you were pursuing your PhD, right? Like you started. Yeah. So I, I applied to work with a book coach at the author incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was accepted into the book writing coaching program and my doctorate program within two weeks of each other. So oh, wow. I wrote a book in nine weeks and also started my doctorate and was working a full-time day job. Uh, yeah. So it just goes to show that when you want something, like when you're focused um, and committed to something, like we can achieve incredible things, incredible feats. That's not to say you probably didn't have some sleepless nights, some teary nights, I'm sure. Um, but okay, so so what was, and, and I just want to like set this up for everyone because you and I were talking about this beforehand, is this is a difficult topic for a lot of people too. So I think it's important to kind of like put that out there for anyone who might be listening, who maybe this is a trigger for them. I want to make sure that they know that. And I also want to let people know, and we're going to dive into this more, is I told Melissa, and I tell all my guests, but especially with your story, I think it's important. Anytime I ask a question, people are can say to me on this show, like, no, I, I don't want to go down that path, right? And we were having that conversation And I think it's a really important one. And I want to visit that during this episode, like saying no, setting boundaries, right? Very, very important. But let's start with just like however much of the story you want to share about how your book came about and like why you felt, you know, the need to write it. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background on my story is I was 20 years old attending university on a full ride scholarship um, and I met a man. And we hung out a few times. Um, He seemed to be great. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he wasn't as great as he seemed. Everything that he told me, except for his name, was a lie. Oh, my Um, gosh. Yeah. And so, I mean, I even had him hang out with my friends the first time we hung out. Like, I really thought that I was doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And one night, I came down with a really bad cold. He came over to my house to make me chicken noodle soup and he brought his guitar and flowers and he kept telling me that my soup would taste extra salty, which mm-hmm. seemed bizarre to me, but many times throughout the course of making dinner, he kept saying, your soup is going to taste extra salty. Wow. Um, after eating the soup, I could not hold my head up. I was at the table, just head in hands, and I knew that I needed to go to bed. So I decided to go to bed and I left this man in my house and I woke up in the middle of the night and he was out on my computer and I invited him to go to bed um, because it was super late and there was no point to go home. And after I invited him to go to bed, he raped me. Um, It was kind of, it was a terrible like feeling because I was still so out of sorts. Like I knew what had happened to me. Um, but I couldn't quite piece it all together. And I started trying to blame myself. Um, and so I went out to my living room, he followed me out there. And the only thing that I knew to do was to go back to bed. And I went back to bed and shut the door and I left him out in my living room. So the next morning when I woke up, I sent an email to him saying that I was 50% to blame Um, because I felt like if I owned part of it, um, then maybe it wasn't the right that I, that I knew that it was. Right. Um, so I didn't report it right away. Um, but a few days had gone by and my friends saw him kind of scouring the, the college campus. Um, and he was like peering through his sunglasses. And one of my girlfriends called me and she said, whatever you do, like, do not walk home. Like, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but do not walk home. And so at that point I knew that I needed to report it. After 
after reporting to the police, um, it turned out that everything he told me was a lie, except for his name, um, that he was actually on probation because he had sexually assaulted a minor prior to this. Wow. Oh my and gosh. so, right. So I had to go sit through all these mug shots and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. Um, they weren't able to find him. And so I had to move. I had to leave the city and the college that I loved um, for my safety. And unfortunately, well, so a little bit of time went by and the detectives called me and they said, well, we have good news and we have bad news. And I was like, well, okay. The good news is that we found him. The bad news is that we found him because he did it to somebody else. Oh my gosh. So of course I then carried on the weight and the blame that this had happened to somebody else. Um, it was my fault because I didn't report it soon enough. It was my fault because I said I was 50% to blame. Like it just was this whole cluster disaster. Um, they ended up not pursuing my trial. I, but I did testify in the other woman's, um, trial as a character witness. Okay. So that happened. Um, so then fast forward, I went through this whole like I tried to mask everything with perfection, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was told not to tell anybody that it happened to me. So the whole time I was going through the trial, um, my professors didn't know at school. I still worked part-time. My colleagues didn't know at work. My friends didn't know. Um, when I went over to testify, I had friends calling me to hang out and I lied and said I had to study when really I was preparing for a trial. Mm -hmm. um, and really and, quickly, sorry, mm -hmm. I don't mean to interrupt you, but who... No. Like when you say they told me not to say anything, was it because of privacy around the court stuff or was this like, quote unquote, bad advice you were given by, you know, I, I'm just trying to no, understand. Yeah. That's a fantastic question. It was not advice given by any legal representation. It was advice given by my family. Oh, wow. Okay. Because not only would it, it look, it would look poorly on them as well. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so I really thought that, you know, I was told that people would make fun of me, they would judge me. Um, so I needed to keep all this quiet and I could talk mm. to a counselor. Um, and that was about it. So I even had really close family members that had no idea any of this was going on. Wow. Okay. Um, so then I kind of, I, I lived this life of perfection, right? I, if I traveled to another country, if I put on another mask of some sort to hide the shame, if I... Uh, got another degree, right? I have so many dang degrees and here I am getting another one. But it was like, those things made me feel good. Like I had purpose and value. Um, mm -hmm. Where really behind closed doors, I was the hot mess express. I mean, crying on my kitchen floor by myself because it, the weight of the pain was just too much to bear, like a disaster. And so as the hashtag me too started going around social media, I felt this sense of connection, right? Like I no longer felt as alone, but yet I still longed for more. I'm like, okay, so people are saying me too. It happened in this location uh, and I was this age. And then the conversation stopped, which more power to them for sharing in that capacity because at that right. time I couldn't even say me too. Like this is right. not to judge that whatsoever. Sure. But me as an individual so badly wanted to see that conversation taken further. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know that I wasn't the only one that masked everything with perfection. I wanted to know I wasn't the only one that cried on my kitchen floor. And I wanted to know I wasn't the only one that struggled to build meaningful relationships with 
partners, with family, with friends. You know, it's really hard to build authentic, real relationships when you're hiding everything. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So I, right? Um, and so then in 2018, I heard this calling and it was like, if you do not see her, you have to be her. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't be her. I do not want to be the one to share my story of life after sexual assault. Like I can't do it. And it just kept like, you have to be her. You have to be her, Melissa. Um, I can't figure out where this quote came from. Like I've looked everywhere. There's no meme. There's no nothing. Like this came from somewhere. <laughs> it was meant for me, but I don't know where or what. Um, and yeah. so that is when I decided that, you know what? I have to be the person I needed to see because if I'm longing to see somebody that really is openly talking about this and she's not out there, like I, I have to be her. Yeah. And so that is how who will love me came to fruition. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I know it's, you know, I've been following, you know, your story and your journey on social media and I have yet to read your book, but I'm going to, we were talking about that as well. Um, but I know, you know, some of it and I've seen you use that hashtag and it reminds me of, I mean, I haven't seen that use, like you said, that mm -hmm. came from inside you, but it, it reminds me of that, like be the change you want to see in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really beautiful. I love that. I love your approach. Um, I know that's, you know, really probably very challenging for, I shouldn't say I know, I don't know how it feels for you, but I can only assume that it's a very difficult thing to talk about. And so when you shared, like, what were some of the things that you went through, like going into um, saying, I want to write about this? Cause you had family who was saying, don't tell anybody. And now you're like, I want to turn this into a book and change the world, like make waves. Right what were some of the like emotional and mindset things that maybe you were going through, um, you know, on that side of kind of putting your story out there? I was terrified, honestly. Um, I remember when I finally decided it was time for me to make a post on social media, that this book is happening, that I'm writing this. Um, my sister who, so the whole time I went through the legal process, my family never went with me. I went to trial by myself. I like, yeah. And you, you can read more about that in the book. Like I went by myself. Nobody freaking knew I was there. And those that did know didn't go. Um, except for um, the final sentencing, my little sister, Chelsea, who you know, uh, she went with me. And they actually let her like walk up to the judge and hold my hand while I read my impact statement. And I imagine I, that had to, I, I don't know, from my, it was so like profound to have her there, but I imagine being the judge watching like my sister and I up there sobbing as I'm reading this impact statement was extremely powerful. So I knew that as like this message went out to the world through social media, like I had to have Chelsea there. Like if I didn't have her there, I don't think that I could have hit submit on that dang button. Um, and so she actually, we went to a cafe downtown and I had everything typed up, ready to go. Um, knowing that this was forever going to change my life. Like my masks were gone and this was out there. And when I went to hit submit, I couldn't do it. Like my hand was shaking and she had to actually hit my hand off the computer so that I could do it. Yeah. Uh, the response that I got from that first post was overwhelming. Um, I think one of the things that I sometimes talk about is, you know, in our hometown, like I never really felt like I fit or I belonged. And I felt like an outsider always. And 
the most amazing thing was that those that first came to support me and show up through social media were those from our hometown. And it blew my mind. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is, I think that is, um, that would be a surprise to me as well. Cause I don't mm-hmm. post a lot of stuff even about my business, which is like, you know, just marketing and like super, you know, boring surface level stuff. But, um, yeah, that would, that would blow me away. Wow. I, yeah. I remember I was walking through downtown and like the p- comments coming up from people that we went to school with people that I never talked to that I didn't even really think cared that I existed. Yeah. And the message I was like, I just was, I was sobbing because I was so overwhelmed. Okay. It's really funny. It's not funny, but it's interesting that you say that because I feel like I mean, I know what you mean. Exactly. Like I never feel like I never felt like I quite fit in. Right. Um, and we did chat about that a little bit, but what's funny to me is like, when I look back, I think everybody knew and loved Melissa McDaniel. Like that's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. I like, I, I have to tell you this because I remember one time, I think we had a math class together or something and you know, you're young and like you're trying to figure out who you are and whatever. And, and I've always been kind of I don't want to say I'm abrasive. I'm a kind person. I was pretty quiet. Right. But like, I always had like a raunchy sense of humor. I was always kind of like more, I don't know. And I always remember thinking like when we had that class together, I was like, man, Melissa McDaniel, she's like so sweet. And so this, and so that, and like, how do you become this like nicer, sweeter, whatever person like Melissa McDaniel? So like, I I just remember, I think I even talked about this, like on an early podcast or some, somewhere where you're trying to figure out who you are and then you have to just realize well my special gifts and whatever is like in who I am as myself but it's just so interesting to hear you say that because when I look back I think uh, everybody you know of course we cared about like what happened to Melissa you know um, so it's just a little rabbit trail and no pun intended since you have a rabbit but... <laughs> <laughs> right I, that's funny because it, the comments that I would get in high school are you can't be that nice that you're too uh, fake Um, a lot of that stuff, which it is what it is. Like, I'm still going to be a nice person. You can think I'm fake or not. I am who I am. Yeah. Um, But it's just interesting, the different perspectives and the way we perceive things when we're younger too. Definitely. Yeah. I didn't mean to go on that rabbit trail and and hopefully that doesn't make you like uncomfortable, but I always just thought it was like, wow, she's such a nice person. Like, how do I be nicer? You know? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So anyway, no, I think that that's just, I mean, I can't even imagine the level of like putting that story out there just in general, but especially to a bunch of people that like, it's almost easier. What I hear from a lot of business owners, it's easier to promote their stuff and share their story to strangers than the people that they know. And that's even, like I said, for people like me who are just in like the business world or they're selling jewelry or whatever it is. And they're like, I'm afraid to post. I'm afraid to show like what I'm doing for fear of judgment or whatever. And then here you have this um, story that's just so deeply personal and, and you were kind of conditioned maybe to like that you should feel shame around it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't mean to interrupt you and I'm trying to remember where we were in, in the journey, but like you, so your, your sister was there Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my sister was there and we were talking kind of about the, for me, I would say a fear of those telling me not to speak up and not to say anything and mm-hmm. what their reactions were and my reaction to that. So one of the family members who was really vocal in me not sharing, um, I was terrified for them to read my book because mm-hmm. in my book, in order to be real, to be authentic, to be her, 
I had to share that my family wasn't there. I had mm-hmm. to share that my family blamed me because it's so common. Yeah. Um, and so the person kept asking for my book, like a PDF copy. And I'm like, no, nope, I'm going to avoid this as long as I can. Like, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sending this to this person. Um, and then it came out on Amazon and they went and just bought it and read it. Yeah. And instead of them calling me angry, because the way that I decided to, you approach it is one of my favorite things is that hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. and you know this person and others in my family have also been extremely hurt by abuse mm-hmm. and they reacted in the way that that they had been treated when it happened to them mm-hmm. um, and me doing the work that I've done for myself and in supporting others like I can step back and see like where they were um, versus like although what they did was terrible, right? This is not to say that what they did was terrible, but it's where they were in their life and it's how they felt they needed to be. So when they called me to say that I read your book and all that they said was, you know what? You told the truth and I'm proud of you. Wow. And that's still, it makes me teary-eyed because my Mm -hmm. biggest fear was that person was going to disown me. Mm -hmm. And I I was ready for it. I was ready to be disowned because I knew that this is what I'm called to do and this is what I have to do and I'm not coming at a place of hate and I'm coming from a place of love and that this is to support others on their healing journey. Yeah I think it's so important to share all of the bits that are tough not that I feel people are obligated to do that it's a personal choice right But when we hold back, like you were saying, hold back bits of our own experience, then it doesn't show other people that, that what they're experiencing is, I don't want to call it normal, but it's common, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that they don't have to, um, that we can break cycles. And how are we supposed to do that if nobody is you know, brave enough. Um, again, I, I don't want to put that judgment on there, right? Like it's, it's nobody's obligation, but the fact that you've done that, that you've decided to step into that brave place and be that for other people. I just, I find it so admirable. I can't wait to read your book. Um, we're going to promote that again at the end, but so going into, and I don't want to divert from the personal Mm -hmm. story. So please like any, like if there's something you want to add, you know, we can go back to that. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people are going to be really interested in like, how you've gone about the actual like business side of getting published and getting your book out there and um, the phases. Cause I know it's already released on Amazon, but now it's coming out in bookstores. So let's kind of talk a little bit about that side of things and what, um, what the process looked like for you. Yeah. So the, the process was a little messy, honestly. Um, initially I worked with a book coach at the author incubator. Phenomenal. Helped me get the first draft manuscript out in, out of me in nine weeks. Um, and I decided because I could have continued on and done their back end, but I decided to continue on my own and figure this out. Um, so I had to self publish on Amazon first. Um, I had to figure out how to get it into Amazon, <laughs> all of that fun stuff. YouTube is fantastic for tutorials. Oh, yeah. uh, so, right. <laughs> I I, so we, I got it up into Amazon. Um, and I, was trying to then figure out, okay, well, how am I going to get this published on my own? I don't have an agent. I'm like this little girl from Tenasket who took pigs to the county fair. Like, what does this even look like? Um, so I started researching publishers and I think that I'm very fortunate. I, I don't know that 
maybe it's luck. I have no idea. Uh, the publisher that I chose to reach out to is Morgan James Publishing. They're based out of New York. Um, and I had to submit my manuscript and application online. I got an email back from them saying that if I don't hear anything in 30 days, like, don't worry, not a big deal. We look at everybody's manuscripts, we'll get back to you. So I'm like, yes, I got a whole month. I'm not doing school this summer. I don't have any book stuff to worry about. Life is grand. Within two days, the literary scout reached out to me and said, we need to talk and we need to talk the beginning of next week. So I wow. scheduled that call um, and within two weeks I was in contract with the publisher. Wow. So I, I don't know that my story is really typical. They only accept 1% of manuscripts that are submitted. They get thousands of manuscripts every year. Um, I am, I'm not sure why I'm the fortunate one that they were like in two days, like we need to get this woman on the phone. Um, but it really, for me, let me know that I'm on the right path and this is the direction that I need to be going, uh, not only for the women that I serve, um, but well, I guess maybe it is for the women that I serve and also the movement that I'm starting to create of being her and being real and vulnerable and authentic in a loving way. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like, congratulations, because I mean, we probably a lot of my listeners and I myself have looked into what it takes to get published for, you know, a long time. And that's definitely, um, you know, not the typical, <laughs> that's not the typical path. So um, I think it's, you know, it's probably the power of your story, like, you know, they saw that there, but I'm sure it's written beautifully because I read your, your post. And I mean, obviously you're a creative mind and you're an intellectual and everything. So it was probably just, I mean, you're the whole package. <laughs> How could they say no? <laughs> I, I that's think, very cool. Yeah. This publisher too, that they work, um, I don't know primarily, but really with people who are writing books that want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and also those who are not only authors, but those who have a, a business that goes along with their book. Oh, cool. So, that makes sense. Right. So the book, although it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of the package that I am, it's also just one component of what I have going on. And I think that's something that they take into consideration that the movement that I'm starting with being her has a lot of momentum um, yeah. that can be built on. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. They want the, the whole brand there kind mm -hmm. of behind it. So we were just talking about how your brand, how your book has the the brand behind it. And that's kind of why, um, maybe one of the reasons why, right? Like the publisher picked you up. So what is sort of the business that goes with the book? Like what's, what's Melissa doing now that she's left her nine to five? Yes, absolutely. So I am diving into coaching. Um, I, uh, women who have experienced sexual trauma and trauma in general, um, I think, not only do I have that background, I also have this leadership component um, right. that goes along with it. So um, my hope is that I begin working with those in leadership capacities where trauma is sort of um, creating a boundary for them to move forward. Mm -hmm. I know many times for me, um, being in leadership roles, uh, especially within higher ed, that there are certain things that trigger you. Um, mm -hmm. or that triggered me, I should say. Um, and how do you work through that? How are you in a meeting where something might go awry and your trauma totally makes you shut down? And it's not because you don't have the capacity to navigate the situation, but something within you has um, 
created this response. So how do, how do we work through this and get past those response so that you can be the leader uh, that you, that you want and need to be? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's such a hard topic for me to be like, that's a fantastic direction to go because nothing about it is fantastic. Right. But it's fantastic that there's going to be that resource out there for people because um, you know, especially right now and uh, you know, we won't go like get getting all political or anything, but like that word trigger has become just this, um, well, it's like triggering to people like on a whole mm-hmm. different level, but it's a very real thing. Like psychologically in situations where people have been abused or they have PTSD or whatever, like this is very real and right. it's very important that it is addressed and, right. and dealt with. So, and I think something really important to note when it comes to triggers is that so many times we're taught that triggers are these bad things with mm-hmm. inside of us. Triggers are not a bad thing. Triggers are a form of communication. Triggers are your body trying to help you learn something. And I think that mindset that something's wrong with you or that you need to fix it isn't, isn't necessarily true. I, I find mm-hmm. that when I'm triggered, although it's a really uncomfortable, unpleasant feeling, that those triggers are trying to teach me something and there's so much that I can learn just being in that space and holding holding myself in the space of triggered, but also lovingly knowing that this is a response to something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great perspective on it and a really great way for people to think about it. I, I love that because you don't often see it talked about in any way, except for as a, as a negative. Right. Um, so, okay. So th- so many directions we could go, but I want to, I want to revisit something that we mentioned at the beginning and I hope I'm not kind of jumping around, but you were just talking about, uh, like learning from it. And, um, I think, I think you just mentioned boundaries in there, but maybe I'm imagining it, but we were talking earlier about boundaries and saying no. And, um, for example, at the beginning of this call, I said, anything you don't want to talk about, anything you don't want to dive into, just tell me and we won't do it. And you said, I have no problem with that. I've gotten really good about setting those boundaries. So whether it's in a work situation, personal situation, whatever you can get as specific as you want or not. Mm -hmm. Um, what do people need to know? Maybe especially women, because that's, you know, your, your target audience, your tribe, right? What do we need to be thinking about boundaries and saying no and, and setting, you know, I know it's a broad question, but. Yeah. So I, ca- I have a few examples that I can share with you. Um, and I also think when it comes to boundaries and women, like naturally we're just such givers, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we can give and we can give and we can give, but if we're not replenishing ourselves and being mindful of our own needs, we're going to give until we're burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes to, so for me specifically, when it comes to the sexual trauma, I cannot stay in hotel rooms with other people very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're working in higher education and leadership roles, there's often conferences, there's leadership forums that you're going to. Um, one area that I had to say no and speak up for myself because of the PTSD is knowing that going to this conference, most people share rooms. Mm-hmm. And I had to call and advocate and say, if you want me to participate fully in this leadership forum, you have to give me my own room. I will be triggered. I will not be an active participant. I will get no sleep. It will be miserable for everybody. So if you want me to go and fully participate, I have to have my own room. Mm -hmm. And without hesitation, they were like, absolutely, you can have your own room. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes because we are taught that this is something shameful, something that we shouldn't talk about, 
that it's not always easy to advocate for yourself in that capacity. And that when I think about stepping out to be her, that's my role is to step out and share and show that it's okay to advocate for yourself. It's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to say, no, this doesn't work for me. I need to do this another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great example, and uh, and it and it brings up a couple questions for me around like it it sounds like, but maybe that's just because that's the side of the story that we're talking about. But it sounds like you've had um, that people who, who you have been in your circle professionally or like with reporting, you know, mm-hmm. earlier in your story to the police. It sounds like people have been receptive to. Um, I want to, I'm trying to, I don't want to skirt around it because I think there's so much out there, like where people like they don't believe they cast doubt on, right? Like cast doubt on someone who has had been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. or they don't pay it the full, like they don't give it the weight that like the, the person who has been through that is feeling. Mm -hmm. Have you dealt with much of that or have you been lucky for lack of a better word for people to be really receptive to it and say, of course you can have your own room. I get that. Yeah. So, uh, it's written in my book, but I think one of the worst experiences I had was I was still at university when this happened to me. And I remember going to the counselor's office and this was prior to where when title nine was implemented and things are a lot more regulated and investigated within colleges. Um, but the counselor wrote me a note to take to my math professor. Um, and all it said was that Melissa should be excused from these class days. I uh, didn't say why, nothing. She just said, nope, you give him this note. You should be good to go. He'll let you make up the work. Well, I walked down this hallway. Still, like, this to me, it was just, like, another confirmation that I had been raped, you know, and like, having to walk down with this dreaded note from the counselor. Right. Um, and I give it to this male, white male professor, and he looks at me, and he says, you're not excused. Anybody can get a note from the counselor. What? I was like, awesome. And so I just like, you know, cause then your voice, like or my voice, like I just shut down, like here, this yeah. male is telling me no. And I said, well, do you want me to tell you why she's excusing me from class? He goes, I don't care. Oh my gosh. It was terrible. Yeah, I just like, I left in a million pieces and I called that counselor and told her this is what happened. I never went back to that class, never talked to that professor again, and he gave me a C on my transcript, so at least I passed. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's still shitty because I probably would have gotten, pardon my language, but I would have gotten a better grade than a C, um, but not having to see him again yeah, was great. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, oh, my gosh. I also That's think, awful. too, like... And it's something that I still don't have the language to know how to talk about. And I would love it if somebody would help me figure out this language. But I also, you know, when you think of privilege and I think of all of the privilege that I have, not only for the way that I look, the color of my skin, Mm -hmm. people take me more seriously. And that's something in my research and things that I want to start targeting and having conversations about. Um, because I know that although this thing that happened to me is absolutely terrible, I also know that in sharing my story, I have some privilege. I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed white woman who's talking about being sexually assaulted. And I think that that's something to note and something that I'm very aware of Mm -hmm. and would love to have a conversation with somebody on how do I, how do I start bringing this to the forefront of the conversation? Because this isn't about me being some pretty little blonde haired thing, sharing her story of sexual assault. This is about changing systemic issues. Yeah. 
Yeah, like after our call, I actually have some people I might be able to connect you to because in my graduate studies, like when I got my master's, I studied cultural studies, which is like the intersection of all of those things, right? That you're that you're talking about classism, racism, sexism, all of it. And um, I know a lot of professors who do work like in that space. So yeah. let's talk. I would appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Because there's so much room for me to grow. And I think that um, in order for me to move this movement forward, I'm not doing my job if I don't bring that to the forefront of the conversation. Yeah. No, I love that. That's a really, I, I'm so glad to hear you. Like I, there's so many people out there and you'll probably run into this as you get deeper and deeper into the coaching world, but there's just a lot of people out there who are just, they're doing it. I don't want to sound judgmental, but for the wrong reasons. So like, mm -hmm. oh, I see a lot of money in coaching. I see that it's like, that's what everybody else is doing. So I'm going to do it. And then they're not sort of self-reflective about where they're really at or how they're approaching it or who's being left out of conversations. And so I just love seeing somebody like mm -hmm. you who's like, you know, not only in it for the right reasons, but constantly like asking, um, you know, who, who isn't part of the conversation or who mm -hmm. might be being excluded or just having that mirror is so important. So right. yeah, no, that's, that's incredible, Melissa. I knew, I knew we were kindred spirits. <laughs> um, okay. So I know I keep going back and forth between, but I think like your personal story and your business story are just so intertwined that mm -hmm. you can't really um, remove the two. But so if other people want to, like, if they're experiencing so, like whether it's a trauma or not, I guess, what mm -hmm. would be your recommendation for like, for them to use their story to um, start building a, a movement or a community or I don't know, what's kind of like a first step that was really important for you to do that or super helpful? I think for me, there's so much power and vulnerability. Um, and not only is it empowering for yourself, but also to watch those around you start saying, for lack of better words, like me too. I don't know what other mm -hmm. word to use there. Um, I think that there's so many things that we go through that are hidden, right? That we, we hide behind our masks. And the more that we start to be transparent and open about our process, um, the more others start to resonate with our stories. Hmm. Um, I really believe in the power of relationships. I would not be where I am today without amazing relationships, whether that be in working with the book coach and the people that I've met through there, um, whether it's my friendships, those that I met through school. Um, I think that when you're sharing your story um, authentically and vulnerably and building your business around that, people resonate with it. And then you just start to grow through the power of relationship building. Yeah, no, relationships have, I agree, totally. I think relationships are key to business growth, but also personal growth, which mm -hmm. as people kind of venture out into the entrepreneurial world, if they're kind of new to it, I think they're, for me anyway, it was a huge surprise. And I don't know if you're there yet, but most of the growth you're doing in your business in the early stages is so much more personal and mindset and emotional than you thought. Like you thought that it was all these tools and systems that you get into place. And when you do that, your business kind of like plugs along and it's like, there's so much more to it um, just as a human. And I think it's super important to have that circle. Mm -hmm. um, and even more so if you have this deeply personal story that you're kind of, you know, um, I don't want to say leveraging, but 
for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, leveraging um, for your yeah. business or for your book. And so, I, I think, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, but I also think the boundaries conversation is important in that too. And taking the time to get to know yourself. Um, you know, I, I talk about in my book, this holistic approach, body, mind, and spirit, and being really mindful of what's going on with my whole person, not only on those individual levels, but how are they interacting together? Um, and so when I think of boundaries and sharing this these things vulnerably, I also have to be mindful of my own self-care. Mm -hmm. So I think that's super important because I could just throw it all out there, right? Hoping that somebody catches on to the story or but the reality is if I'm not throwing it out there in a capacity that I can handle, it's not going to do me or anybody else any good. Oh, absolutely. Such wise words. That's uh, in a different way. That's like a huge part of my own messaging with, you know, around marketing and promotions and stuff is when you're trying to do all the things and you're not, you know, stepping back and saying, how can I do this in a, in a way that's allowing me to like also just be a human outside of this business, outside of these operations um, and, you know, fill myself up with like, we should all have personal hobbies and things that we're doing outside of our business. Mm -hmm. Such an important component. Um, so your, the title of your book has love, the word love in it. I know um, you're big on self-love, like boundaries, self-care, that's all about loving ourselves. And love is defined as an intense feeling of deep affection. So tell me about this journey to, and I don't want to make assumptions. It's so easy for me to be like, oh, you know, from what you've told me, I assume that because that's how I would feel. Mm -hmm. But, you know, early on before you had um, posted about your trauma on social media before you had published your book when you were trying to accept blame i put that in quotes right when you were you were blaming yourself you um had family members who were saying don't tell anybody this is shameful did your like what was your what were you going through in terms of like how you felt about yourself um i'll just leave it open to that like what, kind of where yeah. was the journey to to self-love and and was it lost? And the journey to self-love was a long, messy one. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was the most disgusting human on the planet. Mm. And I felt like nobody would love me if they really knew who I was and how I felt on the inside, because who I was on the inside was miserable. I was so sad, so lonely. I felt so isolated. Um, although, I mean, I've always been surrounded by people. I, I never felt like I could connect with them on a deeper level. And so mm -hmm. I write about, like, I always had these comedic conversations ready to go, right? Because if things started to get too vulnerable in a conversation and somebody might see who I really was or how I was really feeling, I needed a way out of that. So immediately, like, I could switch the conversation while I grow up in Tenasket and I took pigs to the county fair and we had to mm -hmm. make sure that their butts were in shape, you know? There was always this comedic conversation that I could turn on that would derail any type of vulnerability. And it was great, right? It served me a great purpose because I didn't have to go to that level, but I also was so lonely. I remember I would isolate friends. Like I would have certain friends that knew what happened to me and then others that didn't. And I wouldn't let them mix because if this group of friends, like I could just be whoever, like I wasn't the person who had been raped where with this group of friends, like they kind of knew. And so if these two groups collided, this group might know and that whole perfect Melissa would be out the window. Wow. Uh, 
So that's like so much to manage. Like, I mean, just like from a, a standpoint of like, it's almost like, and I'm not saying this, this is going to sound so awful, but I, I think, you know, you'll know what I mean, but like, it's when you tell a lie and then you have to carry that and figure out like who, who heard this version or who, right? Like mm -hmm. it's that idea of carrying a lie and um, for you, it was just a secret. And so uh, did it feel like that? Like, did it feel mm -hmm. like you were living a lie all the time when you were around people who didn't know? It, it felt like I was living two different lives. Mm -hmm. Like the one that I knew and maybe a few people knew and then my like other world. It was just, mm -hmm. I was two separate people. Um, and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't live like that anymore. It was just, it was a miserable place to be in. Um, I, my journey to self-love was a, an interesting one. I ended up going to Tanzania and met with a spiritual healer there, which really helped propel my healing journey forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and really take a look, you know, at spirituality as a component. Cause one thing that I don't think I added is that, um, after the initial trial, he was sentenced 12 years to life and then his church and his family paid for an attorney to appeal it. So I, um, I spent a lot of time disconnected from his, my idea of religion was also spirituality. Like I didn't know that, that they could be one and the same, but they could also be separate. And so anything to do with anything spiritually related, connecting to my own spirit, like that was shut off, mm. done. Because I was so traumatized that here this pastor could sit there and listen to my story, listen to the other woman's story, know that he had done this to a minor in California and still pay for an appeal. Mm. Like it mm -hmm. just was disgusting. Um, wow. So this spiritual healer, as I'm sitting in his garden, he, he tells me this story and he's like, Melissa, you're like this flower and all the bees are drawn to your pollen, right? And you're just giving, 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 giving. And I can't differentiate the good from the bad people because I just want to give it all. But in not being able to differentiate, like I was losing myself and I was not protected in a way um, that I could have been. And he said, well, what are you going to do to change the color of your flower? I'm like, well, I don't know. Tell me, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to change this? Right? Yeah. Give me he the like, answers. <laughs> right. He goes on about this like story of self-love and something. And I'm like, whatever, you know, sure. Little yeah. spiritual healer at Kilimanjaro. Right. <laughs> well, then I end up moving to Greece and my name in Greek literally means honeybee. And so one day I'm like hiking up this hill and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this little honeybee learned to love herself if the color of her flower would change. Mm. And so I, that has kind of been my, my little, that was like my thing that propelled me forward to really start looking at how, how do I view myself? How do I love myself? Mm -hmm. um, from that adventure, a few years went by and then I went on to study holistic leadership, which really was about the whole person or the whole organization looking at Aristotle's, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And if I was looking at myself, body, mind, and spirit individually, man, I was a hot mess. And if those are all supposed to be functioning and creating my whole being, I had a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I think learning to love this little honeybee in whatever capacity she is and whatever, whatever she brings to the table was a huge turning point for me. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that. I love 
everything about that story. Like <laughs> the healer's story and then like where you took it and then it became your own story. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you for days and we totally need to, we're, we're on the opposite sides of the state, I think now. You were over here for a while. Yeah. But we need to, we need to get together in person one of these days soon. Absolutely. Um, I want to give you a chance to um, tell everybody where you are because I feel like we've barely scraped the surface. Like I can't wait to read your book, and I know it's like all over the place. I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to know more about this, and I want to know more about that. But where can people find you? Um, I highly recommend. I always recommend. Like I have great guests on, but like I love reading your posts. They're so beautifully written, and I and so insightful. So where can people? see more of you and, and get your yeah podcast. absolutely so probably the easiest is to find me on instagram at melissa and mcdaniel and i can also give you that link if you Perfect, want yeah. as well yep. um and then you can find me on facebook i'm not as active on my business page there and more i'm so much about the relationships and the people yeah. that most everything happens on my personal page but you're more than welcome to come find me on facebook as well and it's melissa and mcdaniel on there Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'll put your links um, in the show notes so that everybody can easily follow and find you. Um, And then your book, like I said, up at the top of the show is um, going to be available in stores July 28th, right? Yes. Um, You can see my dog on the camera. Uh, (laughs) We're just, we have a third guest on the show, my dog. But um, (laughs) And uh, Melissa has a bunny. So if you follow her, I'm sure you'll see some mm-hmm. cute pictures of the bunny. Anything else you want to leave people yeah. with? Anything else we left out? No, I think that's it. If people are interested in getting an advanced reader copy, I'm more than happy to send those out. Just reach out to me through social media and we'll connect and make that happen. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. Everybody reach out to Melissa, follow her, get that advanced reader. Like I said, I can't wait to um, read it myself and through the tough parts and everything. I'm sure it's not an easy read, Um, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you want to learn better branding and communication skills or more about this podcast, please visit www.candidlyerin.com or just say the word podcast.com. You can also find me everywhere on social media at candidlyerin and make sure to use the hashtag just say the word in your social media posts so I can see your stories of resilience, transformation, and lessons learned because your story matters. Remember, your story is your legacy. Everybody has a story and the world should hear yours.